This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Welcome back to 15-Minute History. I'm Joan Newberger, professor of history and editor of Not Even Past. And today our guest is H.W. Brands, who is a U.S. historian, has written many, many books, the most recent of which is his book about Ulysses Grant. Hi, Bill. Good to see you, John. Today's topic is Reconstruction, the period after the U.S. Civil War. And why don't we just start by asking you what the goals of Reconstruction were and what some of the obstacles were to its progress. Well, the reason I wanted to talk about Reconstruction is I've been teaching about Reconstruction now for, boy, longer than I care to add up, for I guess for 30 years. And I'm still trying to figure out Reconstruction. It's one of the hardest parts of American history to teach, in part because I think it's the hardest to just understand. The basic problem was that the country had ripped itself apart during the Civil War and had to figure out how to put itself back together. And I've had this particular interest in Reconstruction lately, because for the last five years I've been working on this book about Ulysses Grant. And Grant is a good illustration of a principle that I've come to appreciate both with Grant, and I wrote an early book about Franklin Roosevelt. And the principle is that war is the easy part. It's the period after the war that's the hard part. And I think you can see this this is true in American history, but it's true sort of in European history and every place else. Because in war, you ask a lot of people, but the questions that are at issue are pretty straightforward and the way you resolve the question, you don't have to persuade people. All you have to do is beat them into submission. So when I'm thinking about Reconstruction, anybody who teaches Reconstruction starts with Reconstruction under Lincoln because Reconstruction began while the Civil War was still on. But it extends past Lincoln to Andrew Johnson and then into Ulysses Grant. In fact, most of Reconstruction occurs under Ulysses Grant. So I was working on this book about Ulysses Grant. And with Grant, there's sort of two parts of his public life. There is Grant the soldier and then Grant the president. There's Grant during the Civil War and Grant during Reconstruction. So Grant is this great hero, the victor of the Civil War. And he becomes sort of, despite himself, president during Reconstruction. And he discovers that things are a lot harder in the White House than they were on the battlefield. Now, partly this is Grant's personality because like a lot of soldiers, Grant is really drawn to war. And it's not drawn to the violence of war, but drawn to the simplicity, the straightforwardness of war. And he manages that really well. He's really good at this. And then he becomes president and he discovers that life is a lot harder than he thought it was going to be. But This is one of the things I like to tell my students, sort of to shock them, is to say that it was a really good thing that Abraham Lincoln died when he did. You know, he was murdered. Good thing for his historical reputation, because now we can think of Lincoln as the great hero. And those of us in the American history and sort of political science business, we rate our presidents periodically. And Lincoln always lands right at the top because it's sort of, you know, what's not to like about Lincoln? He's the guy who held the union together and then ended slavery. But if Lincoln had lived... His reputation would have been severely tarnished. Reconstruction was going to damage, if not ruin, the presidency, ruin the reputation of anybody who happened to be president during the time. So the basic problem is this. The country has split during the war, and now it's going to be put back together. But 
there are a couple of very basic issues that cause contradictions on both sides of the question. Because there's a very interesting inversion of attitudes and interpretations. During the war, Lincoln and the Unionists, the North said that the South had not seceded because secession was constitutionally impossible. And Lincoln, until nearly the very end of the Civil War, refused to call it a war. It was the rebellion. And he certainly didn't call it the Civil War. It was a war of these states that were in rebellion against the Union. And the reason he had to do it this way was because if he called it a war, in most people's minds, a war meant this contest between two sovereign entities. And the southern states were not, by Lincoln's view, sovereign at all. So during the war, Lincoln says the South never seceded. And the South, of course, says, yes, we did. We are these sovereign nations. Well, the war ends. And then the question is, so how do you put this back together? Now, Lincoln dies just when Reconstruction gets serious. There was wartime Reconstruction, but it was military occupation, military government. And that was going to persist after the war for a while. But everybody knew that couldn't last forever because in a democracy, you don't get to govern by the sword. You have to govern by the vote. So the question was, how long does this military government last? And as soon as the war ends, the Union, or more precisely now, the Republican Party, which is running the Union government during the war because of the secession of the South, which takes away all the Southern Democrats, and that is a very large part of the Democratic Party, the Republicans begin to say, you know what, now that you mention it, I think maybe you guys really did leave the Union, which meant that extraordinary measures have to be taken to bring you back into the Union, which is not what they were saying during the war. They were saying you never did leave the Union. And the South which during the war had been saying, yes, we left the Union, we are entirely separate entity, now begin to say, on second thought, I think you were right in the first place. We never did leave the Union, and so therefore, there's really nothing to reconstruct. The war is over. We'll simply resume our place. We'll send our congressmen and senators to Washington, and all will be as it was before. So the Republicans in the North say, this isn't going to happen. Ah, But one of the things that adds complexity to this, and the thing I love about history, is that things are always more complicated than they seem. And the deeper you dig, the more layers of the onion you find. So, you know, I've just described the attitude of Northerners and Republicans regarding Reconstruction, the attitudes of Southerners and the Democrats. And then things get complicated by the fact that this new president upon the death of Lincoln is Andrew Johnson, who's sort of wrong on all counts because he's not a Republican. He's a Democrat. And the reason he was added to the Republican, except it wasn't called the Republican ticket in 1864, it was called the National Union ticket, added to Lincoln's ticket was that Lincoln thought he was going to lose the election in 1864 and he needed to broaden his base as much as possible. So he includes a Democrat, namely Andrew Johnson, who's a Southerner. He's from Tennessee. But he was a Tennessee Unionist. And so he took the right side politically for the nation, but not for his own state. So Southerners hate him because he's a Southerner who didn't support secession. Northerners distrust him because he's a Southerner. Democrats don't like him because he ran on a Republican ticket. Republicans don't like him because he's a Democrat. And the Republicans are starting to think, wait, we won this war, but who's the guy in the White House? He's a Democrat. He's a Southerner. This isn't right at all. And then And this is one of the things. Now, Lincoln would have been spared that part of it, of course, because he was the Republican, he was a Northern and all this. But what he wouldn't have been spared is what might have been the biggest issue in Reconstruction. And this is often overlooked in the emphasis on the states and their relation to the federal government. 
In fact, what happened during the Civil War was that Lincoln mounted what you could almost call an executive coup in seizing power from the legislature. One of the things that Americans, sort of as a society, as a people, discovered during the war was wars allow presidents to do a whole lot of stuff that they can't do otherwise. And there is this natural gravitation of power away from Congress toward the presidency. And some of it simply reflects the fact that you can't run a war by committee. And, you know, committee of now, it's 535 members of Congress is less than that 19th century. But still, if you have one commander in chief, which is why constitutionally the president is commander in chief, that you can be much more efficient. So Lincoln seized a whole lot of power from Congress during the war. And Congress was willing to let that go during the war. But as soon as the war was over, they were going to claw that back. Lincoln understood this. And for those of listeners who've seen the movie Lincoln. I mean, Lincoln, at least in the Steven Spielberg version, and this is it's more or less accurate, realizes that he's going to lose a lot of his control of the political situation once the war ends. Now, he usually thinks in terms of uh, you know, the southern states and all of this, but, but it has a lot to do with just Congress, and Congress is going to try to gain power back. If Lincoln had been president, he would have been better placed to resist the encroachments or the attempts by Congress to gain back some of the power. But he wouldn't have been able to resist it entirely. Andrew Johnson didn't have a chance. Uh, He was wrong party, wrong section, had no political following himself, had no credibility. And so Congress took out their frustrations on Andrew Johnson. And he served out his term. It was pretty almost a full four-year term because Lincoln was assassinated very shortly into his second term. But Everybody knew that he was going to be one term. In fact, he was impeached. He wasn't convicted, uh, but he managed to survive by one vote. So people immediately began looking toward the next president. And by the middle of Johnson's term, it becomes clear it's going to be Ulysses Grant. Americans have long had this weakness, a soft spot for generals. And so they choose this general. And Grant's canny enough to realize that he doesn't have to take a position on any issues uh, while he's running. All he has to say is, and this is what he said, let us have peace. And this because, well, first of all, he was the warrior who could say, let us have peace. So it had real resonance. But secondly, there was already breaking out this insurrection in the South. One of the the most shocking aspects of Reconstruction South was the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Now, at the end of the Civil War, Grant had been very concerned that the surrender of Robert E. Lee and Lee's Army of Northern Virginia would not necessarily convince all the other Confederates and their armies to surrender. In fact, they did at the time, but he was really afraid that some of the Confederates would simply take to the hills and engage in a kind of guerrilla war against the government. Well, that's, in essence, what happened with the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. As Southerners became very resistant to the, well, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution, which freed the slaves and then made them citizens, and then gave them the right to vote. And there are a whole lot of people in the South, by no means all white Southerners, but very many white Southerners, said, no, we're not going to accept this on principle, and especially if it's enforced upon us by the federal government, because we didn't like the federal government at the beginning of the Civil War, and we still don't like it. We just lost the war. We weren't convinced. So Grant has to deal with this military insurrection in the South, the Ku Klux Klan. Of course, he happens to be just the right guy to deal with a military insurrection. And one of Grant's real contributions to Reconstruction was to persuade Congress to give him authority 
to use force to suspend habeas corpus and declare martial law in the South in regions where the Klan was out of control, where the Klan had intimidated not simply blacks and Republicans, but the state governments. And so Grant sends the army in and breaks up the Klan. And in fact, the Klan disappears from American public life until the 20th century when it revives under other circumstances. The fundamental problem that Grant could not get around, though, was this. And it has to do with the nature of democracy. In a democracy, what do you do when a large minority, but a minority, when a large minority of people are utterly opposed to policies that the majority wants? And especially in a federal democracy like the United States, what do you do when the national will says blacks, African Americans ought to have equal rights, but in the states in the South, there's a majority that says they shouldn't? What do you do? Now, this was what gave rise to the Civil War, because this question of who's supreme, the states or the federal government. And it was a problem that was resolved on the battlefield, and when Lee surrenders at Appomattox, okay, we think we've got an answer to this question. But that battlefield decision didn't really last very long. It didn't stick. And Grant discovered, the nation discovered, that you can amend the Constitution, you can, on paper, say that African-Americans, the freedmen, are the equal of whites throughout the country. But if you've got operative majorities in the southern states who simply reject that, there's only so long that you can make that happen. Grant was the last president between Abraham Lincoln until Lyndon Johnson to take civil rights seriously. Um, But even Grant realized that he couldn't hold the line on this forever. So Reconstruction ends about the time Grant leaves office. In fact, usually the the political compromise that elected Grant's successor is seen as the end of Reconstruction. And Reconstruction resolved some issues so that disputes between the federal government and the states would not give rise to a civil war again. And slavery was ended. It was never going to be reconstituted. But there were some really loose threads that were lying around. What really was the position of African Americans in the South? This wouldn't be resolved until the middle or the end of the 20th century. And then there's this question that's still with us today. When the states don't agree with what the federal government is going to do, whose position has precedence? The Supreme Court right now is dealing with these issues. The governor of Texas is trying to decide, he's already made his decision so far, as to whether the states have to accept Medicaid expansion or not. So one of the things that makes history so fascinating is we resolve these issues for a while, but they just come back. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Bill. My pleasure. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with supplemental documents, suggestions for further reading, and correlations to this Texas and National Educational Standards for History and Geography on our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-Minute History. That's the numerals 1-5-Minute History. You can also find a link to suggest topics for upcoming episodes. The University of Texas at Austin is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in episodes of 15-Minute History do not represent the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.